Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. Say what? It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. Is a wild Wednesday edition. I'd say free wild today. Nothing wrong with wild. Wild child. Glad to have you with us here. Oh, yes. TC Martin Show, of course, streaming live, coast to coast, border to border, wherever you may be. Today, jam packed show coming your way. Hitting a lot of NFL today and some college hoops. As follows Trevor Maddich will join us at the bottom of the hour, ESPNs. College football guru slash NFL, 12 years in the NFL, as you well know, and of course, 15-time Emmy Award winner, Trevor, part of our fantastic team here. He joins us today as we turn the page from college football, and I imagine we'll discuss a little bit of that disgusting championship game Monday night, but hey, we're going to concentrate on wild card weekend. NFL playoffs begin this weekend, starting on Saturday. Looking forward to that. So we'll talk to... Trevor Maddich about that. Charlie Sheen will not be joining the program today. I think he's in rehab somewhere. Uh, but uh, I don't know if uh, Wild Thing is going to be around. You like where I went with that? The Trogs. But you didn't know that, did you? The Trogs. Oh, yeah. Of course, we fired it up. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that one, but that's all good. Speaking of Wild Things. Tonight, UNLV basketball to running Rebels coming off another upset victory over New Mexico in the pit last weekend. Rebs at home tonight, taking on Boise State. Kevin Kruger will join us. How wild is Kevin? Kevin's not so wild. Behind the scenes, though, could be a little wild. Kevin Kruger joins us as we preview tonight's game. We're getting Kevin on game day. So he will preview the Rebs and the Boise State Broncos. That's going to be a good game tonight. 8 o'clock, Thomas and Max Center. Get on out there for that. And Alan Snell, our good friend Alan Snell, who does a fantastic job at LVSportsBiz.com, he's going to join us today as we talk Raiders from the business side, as well as the latest news with the Oakland A's. Are they going to come to Vegas? And we've uh, got news, the latest news on that, of uh, where they're talking about uh, relocating if they even do, because we've been talking about this for three plus years. All right, so uh, jam packed show coming your way today. And uh, we start off today with the NFL. And after nine days of being hospitalized, DeMar Hamlin is back home. Back home in Buffalo. That's right. Uh, he was released. From the hospital today in Buffalo at Buffalo General. And today, DeMar Hamlin is back home with his family. What great news that is. Yesterday, as you know, he was in Buffalo General. And he got released from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center on uh, on Monday morning. And so he was transported or flew back to Buffalo General. And talk was that he was going to be at Buffalo General probably for at least three, four days. But no, nah, DeMar has just been recuperating so nicely that he went through some tests yesterday 
a series of cardiac, neurological, and vascular testing, uh, passed with all flying colors, and today he got a chance to go back home. Uh, Dr. Jamie Nadler, uh, the critical care physician and chief quality officer at the Kalita Health uh, Facility, says, uh, we have completed a series of tests and evaluations and in consultation with the team physicians, we are confident that DeMar can be safely discharged to continue his rehabilitation at home and with the Buffalo Bills. So great news there. I don't think anybody expected that. And, you know, if you were away for the last 10 days, didn't know what happened Monday night. And then you saw, he came back and you saw what happened to DeMar Hamlin, you know, where he needed to be resuscitated uh, back to life. Uh, literally was was out for a couple minutes, and for him to, you know, awaken about seventy two hours later, fantastic news, uh, and then to be able to communicate uh, with his team care unit and his family and his teammates, fantastic. And then here we are today, where he's home, he's actually back home. An incredible story. After nine days of being hospitalized, DeMar Hamlin back home in Buffalo. Bills head coach Sean McDermott getting ready for the playoffs coming up this weekend. He had this to say, said that they will leave it up to DeMar Hamlin when he would like to return to the team facility. Here's the quote from Sean McDermott. He said, his health is first and foremost. That's what's on our mind as far as this situation. And then... When he feels ready, we will welcome him back. Wow. Now, no one is talking about DeMar Hamlin rejoining the Bills as far as being on the field. But the way this guy has recuperated, you never know. Would not rule it out at all. And it's funny if you go back nine days and people are talking about, oh, you know, will he make it? Will he live? Because remember, it was anywhere from a 25 to 40% chance that he would survive this, you know? And he came out of it. And then he started to respond. First thing he asked the doctors, hey, who won the game? Did we win? Doctors respond with, you won, <laughs> Damar. You, you're winning the game of life. And then to see him recuperate, and now you saw him like walking around the hospital a couple days ago. And then yesterday, going through the test. I mean, it's like he's back. And now there's talk about, oh, you know, hey, when he's ready to come by the facility, he, he's more than welcome. And, of course, he's still a member of this Buffalo Bills team. And you know on his mind, he probably wants to get on, not probably, he wants to get on the field as soon as possible. Great story. A story that had tragedy written all over it, had fans and players and coaches and just in tears, not knowing what could possibly happen to DeMar Hamlin or anybody else that takes a hit like this. And we saw a lot of the games. You saw it with players, saw it just with the coverage as well, too. A little tepid, you know, just tepid about you know, okay, you know, and we know that linemen and linebackers are, you know, very tepid about sacking a quarterback now, thinking they're going to get a flag or, you know, 
do do damage, you know, you, you know, to the quarterback. And you know, we saw T. Higgins get hit going across the middle, even though he got hit in the midsection. He was down for a while in that game last Sunday against Baltimore. T. Higgins, a wide receiver who had the collision with Demar Hamlin, and um, so people are going to be skeptical. We're going to be a little a little cautious, but this is the NFL. These are professional football players. Uh, they're going to get back to the violent hits and everything. It'll definitely be on display this coming weekend as the playoffs uh, start. So great news coming out of Buffalo with DeMar Hamlin uh, actually back at home. Not at the hospital in Buffalo, but at home recuperating. And look for him to be back at the Bills facility very, very soon. All right. Another NFL news. Two messes of a team as you head into the playoffs. Hard to believe that either one of these teams even made the playoffs. The Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens. Well, the Dolphins will be playing without Tua this weekend. Uh, He has still not cleared concussion protocol. Teddy Bridgewater, the second-string quarterback, the backup, he is still injured. So, therefore, it will be, and looks like it'll be, third-string quarterback Skylar Thompson out of K-State. He started the game last weekend against the Jets. He will get the start more than likely again uh, this weekend as the Miami Dolphins travel to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Mike McDaniels, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) We've talked a lot about Mike McDaniels. I want you to listen to his press conference here today. When he announced the status of Tua. As of uh, today, um, Tua has not been cleared by doctors to resume football activities on the field with its teammates. So um, because of that and because of the time that um, he's missed, I can rule him out for Sunday. He was an incredible part of the entire season. I think eight eight of our wins um, were as a result of him playing quarterback amongst the team. Yep, that is Mike McDaniels at the press conference earlier today. So you sent me an email with this clip. Yes. What was the uh, title of that email? Uh, Do you remember? Was it something along the lines of... Goofball McDaniels, or was it, it Goofball? Was, it was Goofball McDaniels. <laughs> well, listen to that. I mean, when I first saw that today, I'm going like, are you kidding me? I mean, he was like, um, well, let's see. How do I say this? Okay, two is not really ready to play yet. What is that? I mean, he's a goofball. He's a goofball. He's a goofball on the sidelines. He's a goofball in press conferences. Can you imagine what this guy's like in a locker room? Yeah, he's a goofball. There's no question. I've said it from day one. He reminds me of like a little league, a little league coach. Like, have you, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a little a volunteer, a little league coach. Have you ever they seen? They got thrust into the situation, unlike or maybe similar to Morris. Buttermaker with the Bad News Bears. 
Now he got thrust into it too, but Buttermaker, he went in there and he was just coaching for the money. He was co- coaching for the moolah. He'd bring his own beers in, you know, you know, taking the kids to Pizza Hut, you know, probably want to take them to strip clubs, you know, but yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, Buttermaker had that idea, but this guy is a goofball. Goofball. Buttermaker? You were going to give me Buttermaker, weren't you? Yes! Mike McDaniel! Yeah! Let's put a top on this circus! Woo! Except I don't have that kind of enthusiasm, do we, Mike? Goofball. Yeah, no, he is a goofball. See him on the sidelines? Uh, which place should I call here? Uh, how'd this guy ever become a head coach? It is beyond me. But listen to him. It's like, okay, you've been through enough of these press conferences now, right? Go through them at least once a week. Went through them almost daily during training camp. Think you be a little better prepared to know how to speak to the media. But I think he just, he likes this. Like this is his personality. This like, oddball, quirky scientist slash comedian or volunteer Little League coach, like you said. I don't know what it is. But I just can't believe that that can play well in the locker room. And we're seeing what the Dolphins are all about. You know, How about, you see that last year, the Dolphins, what, started 8-3, and three, and then they ended up, what, 8-8? Eight and eight. This year, what did they start out? You know, no, that was this year. They started out 8-3 and three and ended up 8-8. Eight and eight. Last year, started out something like 1-6 and six or whatever, ended up 8-8. Eight eight. Same Dolphins. Same Dolphins. 9-8. and eight. I mean, come on. Are you, are you kidding me? So, yeah, he, there was a speculation that Tua, uh, probably wasn't going to play, but he broke it down just so eloquently. So the way he did. Uh, yeah. You- what? Oh, eloquently? E- eloquently. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was Mike McDaniel. Goofball. Here's more goofball talking about what's he going to do with Teddy Bridgewater? Teddy is still working his way back. Um, uh, the, uh, his biggest thing is he knew, he knew that he had to be in a position where, um, he had to be fully functional, uh, on Sunday. That took some strain. Um, and really just, uh, uh, some guts and, and work ethic to, you know, that's a, that's not an easy thing to do. As a result, um, we will be approaching, uh, the game today, the Wednesday game as Skylar Thompson as our starting quarterback. What was that? What was that? Okay. First of all, He's got some guts. He's got some guts. Oh, and work ethic. But did you catch the tail end of that numchuck one more time with the last seven seconds of that? Last seven seconds. Listen again now. Go ahead. Uh, the game today, the Wednesday game, as Skylar Thompson is our starting quarterback. The game Today. There's a game on Wednesday? <laughs> That's is, is this now is this like the Nickelodeon game? Is it oh and he would fit in with the slime ball. Right, dude, yeah. he, he should be commentating the Nick games. <laughs> Do you hear what he said? He said, as far as the game today, and he emphasized today, uh Skylar Thompson will be the quarterback for the game Wednesday. We will be approaching 
the game today. Today, make sure. The Wednesday game as Skylar Thompson is our starting quarterback. The Wednesday game. What are we going to Okay, hold up, guys. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have a simulated game today. Kind of like, you know, Major League Baseball does with its pitchers, you know, coming off injury. Simulated game today, which is nowhere near a simulated game. Uh, so we're going to have a, we're going to have a game today. Hey, hold on. Hey, Buffalo, can you come on down? We're going to, we're going to play another game today and we're going to get ready for the game on Wednesday. Oh, wait, wait, that's today. Oh, hold on, Buffalo. Hold on. Uh, I meant, can you come down today for the game on Wednesday, which is today? And I think we might have a game on Sunday too. So since we're going to come to your place on Sunday, can you come down here so we could have a game today? Seriously? What the hell is this? What is this? He gets in front of the media members. And who's this on the on the computer typing away? Did you hear that? I love it. What was that? You thought that was me typing. I did. So yeah, I did. I was like, <laughs> did he typing? send me like a recording of himself reco- no, typing it? Not typing. Uh, somebody that uh, I guess the microphone picked it up there in Miami on Wednesday morning. Are you kidding me? He he says the game today, and Skylar Thompson will be the quarterback. For Wednesday's game. How, did anybody even comment today? I mean, go through. You're, you're the social media guru. I'll go through. Go, go through. I, did, am I the only guy that caught this? But I, I found a little clip now of Mr. McDaniels. Oh, no. Asking you. Mr. McDaniels. Mr. McDaniels. Okay. He was asking me He something. was asking you something. Okay, go ahead. Why is everybody always picking on me? Because <laughs> you're a goofball. Goofball. This is unbelievable stuff. This is a head coach in the NFL. And we're talking about, hey, what qualifies you to be a head coach in the National Football League? Well, see, if I'm an offensive coordinator and we do pretty good, or if I'm a defensive coordinator and we do pretty good the previous season, guess what? That qualifies me to be a head coach. You've got zero head coaching experience. You know I feel sorry for, okay, just because I you know, used to be in this realm. But I feel bad for the high school coaches, the dedicated high school coaches who have been coaching for 15, 20, 25 years and are good enough to coach at the collegiate level, good enough to coach at the professional level, but never get a shot, never even get a sniff at that. Instead, oh, you could be a graduate assistant. Mm, All right. I means what translation? You can be Adam Sandler and the water boy. That's what that means. That you could go. Don't, don't, don't. You know how I feel about that movie. Don't. I hold, saw. Hold you. on. I saw where you're hold going. Hold on. You're going. Oh, he said Water Boy. I'm going to go ahead and get a clip from the Water Boy. This is from someone that when we talked about this last time, I know it's coming. Didn't even see it. That's true. It's true. It was so bad you didn't even I, yeah. see it. Yeah, I didn't want to see it. Yeah. Just, but then I told you something, and you're yeah. like, "Well, maybe I want to see it now." Maybe, well, what did yeah. I tell you? Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I don't no, know. no. Well, what did I tell you about the movie? I can't remember. Who's the coach? Um, Bob Barker? No, Bob, not Bob Barker. <laughs> uh, somebody I know is the, is the coach. Who is the coach? You told me this before. I can't remember. Hey. The Fonz! It is. Yeah. Henry Winkler. Oh, fantastic. Hey, the Fonz and Barry. I've talked about this before. If you haven't seen, you still haven't seen Barry. I've caught Go, a couple. Two I seasons, Barry. I know, I'm going outstanding. to. Outstanding. And I believe he won an award, got nominated as as well, Golden Globe and oh, just 
Emmy, fantastic. Anyway, but yeah, this this goofball is like so many others. You know, okay, I'd be a grad assistant. Oh, then a guy can come in there and I could be a quality control coach. Translation quality control is, yeah, you're picking up the towels in the locker room and you're, you're making sure that, you know, everybody's good. Hey, uh, you just got to town. Uh, you know, you just got traded or, you know, your draft pick. Uh, here's, here's directions to your apartment complex. Uh, here's the, where you want to go eat at there. That's a quality control coach. That's what they do. Then you rise up and maybe you could be maybe an assistant position coach, you know, assistant wide receiver coach, something like that. Then you work up, maybe get to be a position coach. And then maybe you get one year as an offensive or defensive coordinator. Boom. You're qualified. Yeah. It's just like you just got your master's degree. You know, there it is. I mean, throw a party, increase raises. That's what that means. Head coach. Like Cliff Kingsbury could be a quality NFL coach. Heck, he wasn't a quality college coach. He got fired from Texas Tech. He's an offensive guru. Yeah, how'd that work out for you in Arizona? Come on. It's 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 over and over and over again. What's going to happen here? Now, what, we got five NFL head coaching openings, right? Right now? Five of them. How much you want to bet that a majority of those will be first-year head coaches that get those jobs? Not guys that are qualified, that have, have previous head coaching experience. Why don't you put that on the job description? Uh, NFL head coaching job, you know, payment, you know, minimum $2 million a season, maybe up to $7 million a season. Uh, previous head coaching experience, Required. Would that be good? See. Yeah, it's not on there at all. Not on there at all. All right. So I don't know who's more of a mess the Dolphins or the Ravens? Lamar Jackson listed as doubtful. What a shocker there for Sunday's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Jackson's missed the last five games and missed the last 16 practices. Still recuperating from that knee injury. Hasn't played since December the 4th. And who do you got as your backup there? Tyler Huntley. Well, kind of very similar to what's going on in Miami, right? You got Teddy Bridgewater. He can't practice. He's in no shape to go. So you got to go to the third string quarterback. Same thing in Miami. Tyler Huntley, doubtful with a shoulder injury, has tendonitis, hasn't thrown in practice. In a week and a half. So therefore, you go to the playoffs and you're going to get third stringer Anthony Brown. Yeah. Anthony Brown likely to start again. Weird about this. You know, we talked about that all six games, these are rematches or we've got divisional opponents, which will be the third time. And these two teams fit right into this, just like Buffalo and Miami. <laughs> Same thing. But with Baltimore and Cincinnati be a third time they played. They played last week. Cincinnati won 27 to 13. And uh, since Lamar Jackson has been out, the Baltimore Ravens offense averaging a whopping 13 points per game. 38 days after he sprained his PCL, Lamar Jackson missed, guess what? Another practice today. Yeah, so that makes 16 practices that he's missed. 
in a row. Yeah, he's he's not ready to play. And you've got to remember, there's a guy that is representing himself, wants a new contract. The Ravens are probably going, they've been saying all the right things. Well, yeah, we got you, Lamar. We got you. Well, you know, we'll talk about it after the season. This guy has shown he is nothing but injury prone. And isn't that good? Now, I know some people go, we're we talking about former MVPs. No, he's not. Come on, stop. Stop. You want Lamar Jackson on the line? Playoff game on the line. We saw how well that's worked out. How many playoff games is this Ham and Ager one? Huh? Go ahead. Look it up. Not good. Buffalo, Miami. The line now, it's funny because we when we talked to Chuck Esposito yesterday and we talked to Jake Hornigay at the Westgate on Monday, we talked about having these lopsided lines ever since the NFL went to only one team out of each conference gets a bye. Okay. I had two years of this now. And last year, four of the six games were double-digit victories. All right. We had some blowouts. And I'm predicting we're going to have that again. So we have the lines here of 10 points on the Buffalo game. Now, when word got out yesterday, that, hey, maybe Tua might play. You know, because after all, he's been out for the last few weeks. I mean, it's probably due to play, right? Okay. So the line came down to nine and a half. Then it went down to nine. The moment that goofball got on the mic today, do you know where the line went? 13. 12 and a half, 13. Now, do you think that line jumped up from nine to 13 because of A, he announced that two is not going to play, or B, that he said thinks the game's on Wednesday. <laughs> it's B for sure. It's B. <laughs> Wait a minute! This clown don't even know where the game is. Ten thousand more on Buffalo. Mattress Mac, let's go. Double down, Mac. Three million, six million. On go go Buffalo, go go Buffalo, go go Buffalo. I like that. I like go go Buffalo. I'll be on the Bills. Let me tell you right now. All right? Miami has zero shot. No shot this week. None. Nil. Nine. Zippo. Zero. No shot. You know who else has no shot? Baltimore. Nil. Nine. Zippo. Whatever I said over and over. Who has a bigger shot? Who has a bigger shot? Who, ha- who has the better shot? I'll tell you who's got a bigger, uh, better shot. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. All right? You got a big shot. Shot. He's got a he's got a bigger shot because these clowns have no shot, zero shot. Give me Cincinnati to the cows come home. Give me Buffalo to the cows come home. That's what I'm talking about. What the heck? What kind of mix is this? I kind of like it though. A little earth, wind, and fire. Philly Joel. Well, you went up town riding with your fine Paul Gavin clothes. You had the dog. I actually don't mind that one. <laughs> I don't mind. That was the one messed up you don't mind about. When you wake up in the morning with your head on fire and your eyes don't let anybody say, and no one does. I don't have versatility with my music. I mean, come on there. Look at this. It's not just old school RB and funk. This could be a good theme song. You have to be a big shot. So you told me to search for some 
updates. Updates. Right? Yeah. Social media. Is anybody else talking about this besides no. me? About they th- that he thinks the game is Wednesday. No. So the only thing that I was able to see is this guy eating some cheese dip. I don't know who he is. I don't know what it is, but I know it needs to come to Vegas and it needs to be here now. Oh yeah, you want you want you want to talk about my cheese dip? You want to talk about margarita dip? The marg dip, the world famous marg dip from my man, the cowboy Timmy Keen. Oh yeah, margarita is my all-time favorite Mexican restaurant in Green Bay, and people have known me for a long time. They know when they come visit me in Green Bay. Boom, I'm there. When I went back last March, uh, had a big gathering there. I think you, you remember seeing the pictures. Yes. I got my whole posse and yes. neighborhood that came on down. It was great. And so uh, whenever I get Deacon Bob or somebody that comes in, they deliver. So with Jules, Julie Jules went there last weekend, went back to Green Bay. All right. And I said, you, you got to bring me back the Mark Dip. And my guy Tim hooked it up again and he gave me, I don't know what it was, a half gallon. But that is the best cheese dip. So now, does, he, does, he, sell, does he sell this like that? Or are you special because you're you? Okay, that dip is on the menu. And that's how I know about it. Because yeah. you know, I used to go there like three, four no, times. No, but I'm saying, does he sell it out the door like that besides that? I've never known him to do that. He's texting me now. I guess we could ask him. But I'm going to tell you about this dip. So when you get the Marg dip, okay, you there's two sizes of the Marg dip, all right? And yeah, small one, whatever. And then you eat it with your chips and that sort of thing. Yep. There's also a fiendish, fiendish dish on the menu called the chicken Argentine, all right? Okay. Chicken Argentine. Chicken breast, boom, and it's just saturated in the Marg dip. No. You may want to ask me what the Marg Dip is. What is in the Marg Dip? Okay. The Marg Dip is a four-cheese dip. It is phenomenal. It's creamy white pepper jack. The emphasis on the creamy. Starting good already. Oh, yes. All right. With jalapeno cheese. All right. Okay. Mixed with mozzarella. Okay. Nothing wrong with anything so far. And then the sworn to secrecy... Secret spices, and it's hard to put a a finger on what the secret spices are. Again, sworn to secrecy, but I know there's like some there's like some spinach because some green in there, but it's got a great kick. It's not overpowering. But here's the key to the Marg dip: it is creamy as can be. You know how a lot of dips are either hard as a rock or they're runny. Yep. Never. Yeah. Uh, here's a little tip for you. Okay, and then, you know, he sends uh, the bag full of chips, freshly baked. So, all right, so Jules goes to Margarita's for lunch on Monday afternoon. Yeah. Right? Here's the timeline, okay? One o'clock. One o'clock right. lunch, got One you. One o'clock lunch. Central time. You got Central. it. Central. There you go. Hold on, I'm going to take all notes right. on this. Okay, there you go. Okay. All right, now, she eats lunch, all right? Okay. And they have the Marg Dip ready for her. Got you. Okay. Uh, the three giant bags of freshly baked chips, all right? Gotcha. Okay. That's going to now go in the suitcase the Marg Dip. Oh, and don't forget Olga's spicy brown enchilada sauce. Yeah, Olga. 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 Yeah, her okay. name's Olga. But the queen Olga. of the brown sauce. Okay, got you. Queen of the brown sauce. Got you. Best enchilada sauce, bar none. All right, so you got all that going. So that gets packed up in the suitcase. Now, so the chips do not, you know, get crushed. That goes in the carry-on. She's not flying out of Green Bay. She's flying out of Milwaukee. 
So that gets packed up in the like 22 degree, 19 degree weather love, there. Love it so far. Driving to Milwaukee for the two, two hour drive, gets on a six o'clock flight, packs it up, boom, carry on with the chips. And now you got a layover in Denver. Oh. Uh, yeah. So now you got to survive that. Back to Vegas, 11.33 p.m., and you know who's picking her up at the airport. You are. I'm picking her up, right? Okay. Exactly. For, so, what, for one reason only. So now, first For question, one reason only. First question. Yes. When you saw her. Yes. Did you eat some dip instantly? Right to the suitcase. <laughs> suitcase goes in to make sure that everything, boom, everything's packed perfectly. Well, except her clothes, because, you know, that's the yeah. story. Right. And then she has the margaritas jumbo bag with the chips, not one crushed. Love it. Just amazingly how that, that came about. Boom. So, nope. I, I said, I'm not cracking that bag. I'm waiting till the next day, next night. And that was my dinner last night. The chip salsa, you probably saw the video. It That's looks, why you made the comment. Yeah. It, it looks amazing. It is amazing. It's a, and I will, if there's any left, I'll bring some for you. I love it. And Michelle. And, and Marky Mark. Or uh, I'll bring you some tomorrow. Can Tim maybe possibly send some? Yeah. Can, I mean, Tim, you want to... Cowboy, sp- if you're listening right now... Cowboy, spawn to the show. And Cowboy Cowboy listens. Hey, Cowboy was my guy, you know, back in Green Bay. I, he he I should was sponsor and just pay in, in Mark Dip. Send it in. Just send it in. Yeah. Seriously, I think he sent me home with the value of, of that big tub that you saw yeah. of the Mark Dip with the chips all... Over $100 were the stuff he, he sent home for. And I appreciate him. Longtime friend, longtime owner of, of Margaritas, located directly across from Lambeau Field. You've heard me talk about this before. I've when, heard you talk, when, yeah. When, when people go, I say, okay. You're go. going to Margaritas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when GV went back for the Jets-Packers game, Greg Vaughn, I made him a reservation. I made him a reservation there. He came back screaming, outstanding. Of course, they treated him well and, and anybody there. But so. Uh, what what was that Can't chocolate bar I saw? Okay, so Saruji's chocolate is like okay, you're Chicago, so you'll understand yep. what I'm about. Okay, so people from Chicago and from Sacramento will know what I'm talking about here. Seas candy. You know, oh, okay. C's, C's. Yeah. Saruji's is the Green Bay Seas, basically. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what that is. So of course, Jules had to stop by because they she loves the Saruji's. Okay. Family loves the Saruji's. So of course, for dessert, she walks through. The airport, I pick her up. What she do? Pops, put the hand up, fires a fastball at me. Saruji's chocolate. That was dessert last night. Delicious. Beautiful. Melts in your mouth. Okay. Melts in your mouth. There you go. So there you go. You got that. You got that. Love that we just went from sports to food instantly. <laughs> Shocker, right? <laughs> and waiting on the line is our good friend Trevor Maddich. Okay. All right. So we'll come back. Trevor will join us. He's probably salivating right now. And you're like, okay, are you going to get to me? Oh, forget this. I want to hear more about the food. Marg dip, the best cheese dip in the planet, bar none. Margaritas, Green Bay. Check it out. Hi, this is Lonnie Jordan from The Band War, and you are listening to T.C. Martin. And now I forgot what he told me to tell you. <laughs> he, he's lying to you all. He's lying. No lying, no embellishment here. Especially when it comes to the Mark Dip. Oh, yeah. Remember uh, when Burline was back there? Remember? I told Burline about it. You did. And it did. Yeah. Of course, you know, he dropped the ball and, and didn't go. But, uh, yeah. Anybody going to Green Bay, go go check out my guy, 
Tim at Margaritas. Uh, the best Mexican food maybe you've ever had. There it is. All right. Our next guest, he doesn't get to Green Bay too much. You know, he's you know he's dealing just back and forth with uh, his permanent residence in Bristol, Connecticut for the most time, uh, between that and Nashville, Tennessee. But I, I got to make a, a, a trip to Green Bay with Trevor Madge. We would we would have a blast with that. You know, Trevor, especially like you know Trevor driving. I could see him driving from Nashville to Green Bay with the tunes going, everything. Yeah, that's it. I think that's on the bucket list, Trevor Madge. What's going on, brother? Hey, TC. Yeah, I played at Green Bay at Lambeau Field, and I tell you, you can feel the ghosts in that stadium. <laughs> it is, it's just amazing. And, I, and I've been there, but I've never been to the actual bay. I don't know if it's on a bay. I mean, is it called Green Bay because the water's green or just because there's lots of trees around the beach or what's going on? No, with, there's a bay. Called, I yeah. got to figure out why it's called Green Bay. Because there's a bay. There's a bay right there. You know, Lake Michigan and that bay, it uh, goes uh, right up there. And uh, there you so go. Why is it green? Uh, why is it green? It, it is green. It's green. I mean, sometimes it's blue, but it looks green most of the time. Or to be honest with you, in the wintertime, looks like a lot of white or brown. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. I don't know if I want to go into water at a place called Green Bay. I don't want to go into water that has a Christian tide either. There's a lot of, very nice. There's a lot of greenery, though, in Green Bay. A lot of tall trees. No, that's true. Tons of greenery, as you know. You know, And you know all about well, like the beltways and everything. You know, it's, it's greenery. And if you've been to Wisconsin in the summer, you know that the mosquitoes are big enough to carry off small dogs, so you can't <laughs> let your dogs out of the hotel, you know. Listen to you. There you go. Yeah, no. Uh, that's that's a great trip, and I've done that before I moved to Green Bay, and I know you could attest to this. Saturday afternoon game in Madison to go see the Badgers at Camp Randall Stadium. Phenomenal. And then a Sunday game at Lambeau Field, Green Bay. That's bucketless material, my friend. No, it would be absolutely fantastic. And you're right, it is beautiful up there. Absolutely beautiful. If you if you love the outdoors, you will be in heaven in that area up in Wisconsin. Trevor, just watch out for the mosquitoes. Of course. They actually don't you they don't throw clay pigeons for skeet shooting. They just pick a mosquito going by. That's true. I, I make sure I'm always lathered up with my off and everything uh, during the summertime, especially when I was like, you know, coaching girls softball and stuff during the summer i was i I was i was ready to go man i i made sure those mosquitoes did not bite me but you're right especially when the sun goes down you know seven eight o'clock at night yeah treacherous you're right man see trevor man he's a worldly guy he knows you coach girls softball of course yeah so do you teach it all power or accuracy (laughs) uh both my friend both my friend yes Oh no! Fast pitch or slow pitch? Fast pitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. We had we had a touring uh, softball team. I even uh, you know coached a couple years of of high school. You know, so I did baseball. I did uh, softball, okay. basketball. Yeah, you know, my daughter played. Of course, uh, we had some phenomenal travel teams. Yeah, Green Bay Express. You can go ahead and and uh, and, and go and look that up. Sponsored by none other than Margaritas, as we're talking about. There it is. Gotta like that. We're talking about margaritas, the Mexican restaurant, not the margaritas. But you can't get fine margaritas at margaritas. So just remember, Trevor, that's there's a plug for you. You're going to Green Bay. Go to margaritas. You'll be very happy. I will, and I'll tell them that that TC, the 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 famous women's softball coach, (laughs) sent me. (laughs) If you'd like to go there, yeah. I don't think I don't think Trevor has seen my my video, so I guess we'll we'll uh, we'll send it to Trevor so he can. Now, now, uh, know what we're talking about with the, uh, with the famous Mark dip. There it is. All right. So that's on the way, yep. but, uh, 
Let's talk some football, man. You because football. You're, you're talking about beautiful, you know, Green Bay, beautiful summer, all that stuff. What was not beautiful was that fiasco we saw Monday night. I don't want to spend too much time on this fiasco, Trevor, but come on, sixty-five to seven, and I'll say it. Not too many other people are saying it, but you know darn well if Alabama was in that game, we wouldn't have no sixty-five to seven. You know that's for darn tootin. If UNLV were in that game, it might not be sixty-five to seven. Well, what in the world happened at TCU? You tell me. The horn frogs are armored and they spit blood at you, and they're <laughs> vile little beasts. They were just like Brazilian tree frogs. In, they were worse game. than mosquitoes. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. I, there, there were two things that happened there, TC. One of them was that that TCU didn't really know how to play on a stage like that. And their coach, Sonny Dyke, said at halftime and then after the game as well that he had to get the guys settled down and focused on doing their job, do do their job. What happened was too many guys too often were trying to make a play. It's the national championship game. I have to go make a play. And that gets you focused away from the 111th that you're responsible for. So, so that hurt them. And another thing was just that Georgia was in a zone. And offensively, they were brilliant. I mean, it was a brilliant uh, brilliant coaching job by the Bulldogs on both sides of the ball. But they learned a lot from the Michigan game against TCU in the semifinal. Because in that game, Michigan figured we're big and powerful. We're just going to bulldoze you. And they tried to run the ball inside and all that. And TCU with that three-three-five defense, kept on hitting slants and angles and blitzes and fires and stunts and all kinds of stuff inside that messed stuff up. Now, Michigan still scored a lot of points and had a lot of yards, but there were also a ton of negative plays where TCU defenders came flying through the gaps to make negative plays and get it behind the chains. And that's really what stymied Michigan in the end was they were three for 13 on third down, even though they had moved the ball. So what, what, uh, Georgia did on offense was said, okay, we're not going to even try to decode all this stuff going on inside. And they hit it off tackle and wider. And when they went wide, really wide, then it would often pull a tackle the, and, and pull them outside to hit the alley or hit it super wide and let all the craziness happen inside. And they just, they just bypassed it. And so the TCU defense just didn't have an answer for that. And then of course the, the TCU offense, it was just, Georgia just jumped everything that they tried to do. It ended up being a perfect storm, and TCU had no answer for the tsunami. And once they got rolling downhill, Georgia was just unstoppable. Trevor, we talked about this leading up to this game, that if TCU did not show up and we had a non-competitive game, that there were going to be the naysayers, see, Alabama should have been in, TCU maybe didn't deserve, and that sort of thing. And then... The topic comes up again. Well, here's another Big 12 team. I can't believe they got this far. Boom. Do you think that this is going to have, because it was so non-competitive, because it was 65-7, to because it was the worst beatdown and the largest margin of victory that we've ever seen in any championship game, in any football contest, NFL, NCAA, whatever, because it was so bad and it was such a mismatch, do you think with one more year of this where we got to vote for the top four that this kind of gets held against those teams, maybe like Cincinnati or those teams out of the Big 12 again that, you know, maybe score a lot of points, but give up a lot of points that this game is going to be circled and the committee is going to say, you know, we don't want this to happen again. 
Well, it happened to the Big Ten with Michigan State. It happened to uh, the Pac-12 with Washington. I mean, it, it, it's happened, and they're not supposed to think that way. The, the committee is not supposed to have those kinds of factors entered into it. They're supposed to make each week its own universe and each season its own planet. And they're not supposed to look to think about that, but they're human. And I think if there's if they're struggling to decide which team to put in, uh, the human side of it would say, look, Big 12 has been crushed. Big 12 has, you know, they've only won one semifinal in the playoff era, and that was TCU this year, and then look what happened. You know, and if, you know, they, they might take a look at that, but they shouldn't. They're not supposed to. I know if you're if you're Michigan, you're thinking, how in the world did we lose to those people? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. <laughs> and if you're Ohio State, you're thinking, if we would have made that field goal at the end that was wide left down a point, we're national champions. Yeah. Right. The, the, the way TCU played, Ohio State would have rolled them too. Now, I, I don't want to rain on TCU because they had a, a magical season, one of the best in their history. They ran into a perfect storm and they weren't, they weren't, they didn't have the answers for it. So I don't want to, I don't want to rain on them. Their, their season deserves praise. Right. But the emotion of that game is pretty darn ugly. And I think the committee, uh, the committee should not be influenced by it. either way. They've only got one more year to worry about it because next year's four and then after that is 12. Mm-hmm. Trevor Match uh, joins us, ESPN's College Football. We talk a little NFL right now. Trevor, wild card weekend, and ever since the NFL has gone to just only one team out of each conference receiving a bye, we, we've had some blowouts in this first round, and it makes sense because now you've got the number two seed playing, and they're playing the number seven seed, and in both of those matchups this weekend, you've got Buffalo against Miami with their third string quarterback, um, you know, Skylar Thompson, you know, go- going to be the quarterback for Miami, uh, out of K State. And we have a start last week against the Jets. And we know that Miami has not played well to close the season. They lost five of the last six games. And then same thing is happening with San Francisco, who pro- you can make the argument no one hotter right now than San Francisco. And they're going to play a Seattle Seahawks team that, you know, has not been great this season. Uh, we could have two potential blowouts here highlighting this, um, you know, this, this week weekend coming up. Give me your take about those two games and then let's dive into a couple of the other ones. All right. Well, I, I think there's a connection with the games because the Seahawks defense is the Skylar Thompson of NFL defenses. So <laughs> you, you can, uh, you know, there's a connection. I, I think the 49ers and Seahawks is an interesting game. Um, 49ers are playing a third string quarterback, but he's five and oh, you know, Brock Purdy is 13 touchdowns, just four interceptions. He's been very efficient and he'll be going against the Seattle defense that did pretty well against the Rams. But you know, th- this is a defense that ought to get steamrolled by the 49ers on the other side of the ball. The thing about the, the Seattle that they've got to worry about is the pass rush. Geno Smith has done really well, right? He's done, he's exceeded everybody's expectations, but the offensive line is below average in pass protection. And the 49ers is one of the best quarterback disrupting defensive front. So sacks and pressures and things like that, even though they don't blitz very much, they blitz among the fewest in the NFL, but they pressure among the most. And that makes it hard to get big plays against them because they've got extra guys back in the secondary and they can still pressure you. And I don't think that Seattle on offense is going to be able to drive a lot of long drives. I just don't see it happening. I see, you know, as long if they can't get big plays, they will make a mistake and be forced to punt uh, on a regular basis. And so I, this game does shape up to me like 
a blowout in favor of the 49ers. And with the Dolphins, it's not just that they're down to their third quarterback, who's not been as effective and efficient as Brock Purdy of the 49ers, but also Jalen Waddell, who's one of their most important, uh, or excuse me, not Jalen Waddell, um, the guy I got from Kansas City. I'm spacing his name. The uh, wide receiver. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is, is on the injury list right now with an ankle and questionable. And, you know, so all of a sudden you got your third string quarterback and you got one of your best weapons that might be a little gimpy. Uh, and his game is speed and explosive cuts, right? You can't, you can't change direction as fast as he can change direction. And then you can't keep up with him when he takes off on, uh, full speed. And so if he's playing, but even limited, it, it takes a lot away from what Miami can do. You know, I think the two games that they played this year between Buffalo and Miami, I mean, Miami beat them the first time around. And the second time, Buffalo only won by a field goal. But this one also really looks to me like a big blowout because Miami's defense in recent weeks has just played poorly. This has not been the same defense that started the season pretty hot. And speaking of hot, Josh Allen, Buffalo's quarterback, has averaged about 400 yards passing in each of the last three weeks. And so I I really think that this one also shapes up like a, a blowout for the home team. Speaking of blowouts and, again, third-string quarterbacks, uh, we got the same situation with Baltimore and Cincinnati. Uh, no Lamar Jackson. And, uh, you know, Tyler Huntley hasn't thrown a pass in practice the last week and a half. And now Cincinnati is at home. We just saw this matchup last week, and Cincinnati won by 14. Potential third blowout for the weekend? Uh, maybe. I, I, I agree with you that the... Baltimore offense probably won't do a whole lot, but the Ravens defense is legit. I mean, they statistically are are top five in a lot of key categories and they're playing really, really well. And they held Joe Burrow in that game last week to Burrow wasn't good. Burrow actually said after the game that he wasn't happy with the way that he played. And you could say that they got a big lead Cincinnati did, and they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit and Baltimore didn't. And so it ended up being, um, you know, it felt uglier than it was kind of a thing, but I, a blowout on that one is is harder for me to predict because of the quality of the Baltimore defense. I mean, I can see an under, mm-hmm. right? But uh, I'm, I'm still thinking about that game. I know the 49ers game and the Buffalo game will probably end up being um, two of my picks when we, when we pick on Friday. But this one, I'm not quite sure about yet. I'm still trying to get my brain wrapped around it and I, I just don't see the Bengals offense going off on the Baltimore defense. All right. Saturday night we've got Jacksonville and the Chargers. Uh, even though these guys are not divisional uh, uh, opponents, they have played earlier this year, and we did see um, a, a pretty you know good game here. We got the Chargers a one point favorite on the road. We know Jacksonville has been playing exceptionally well. Trevor Lawrence seems to get better and better each week. Um, but they were very lucky to win that game against the Tennessee Titans last week. Give me some thoughts as you look at the Chargers being a road favorite here, a slight one, against the Jags. Yeah, well, I just looked at ESPN.com in their injury report, and Trevor Lawrence showed up as questionable. Okay. He didn't say what it was, but that 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 uh, that's kind of interesting. The Chargers' pass defense has gotten a lot better just, in recent weeks. They were, excuse me. I was just going to say he has a toe injury. Is is, is what the injury? It's a toe. Yeah, it's a toe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that 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 um, you know that that matters. 
the Chargers in, you know, the first 13 games, they were in the bottom tier of the NFL in terms of pass defense. But since then, they've really perked up and they've been very well. They've been one of the best in the league at pass defense. And so it'll be interesting to see which Chargers pass defense shows up in this game. Trevor Lawrence in the red zone last week wasn't all that good. I mean, they managed to beat Tennessee, but they didn't do very well in the red zone. They tended to bog down. And Tennessee's pass defense is one of the worst in the NFL. You would think that just from that standpoint alone, having Trevor Lawrence there and his ability to throw the ball and the weapons that he has, that they would have been able to score more touchdowns and field goals down there. But but they struggle. And, you know, so that's something that's interesting when it comes to the score, when it comes to the total, and when it comes to whether or not the, these guys can win the game. Um, you know, and what the, the thing that makes this most intriguing to me is that Justin Herbert is first in the AFC at leading game-winning drives. He's got five game-winning drives, and this is projected to be a close game. And because of that, you know, which quarterback do you trust the most if they've got to get a drive at the end, either to close it out or to score and win the game, which is what these game-winning drives are about? I think you have to trust Herbert just a little bit more. And so in this game, I would lean Chargers. Mm. Jacksonville, uh, thumped the Chargers 38 to 10 going back when they played on September the 25th. When you have a game that went like that, you know, Trevor, is there much you can read into that or do you figure that these are, these teams are a little bit different than they met in specifically the Chargers when they met back in September? Yeah, a lot different because of the injury situation. The Chargers defense has become more healthy. The the receivers have become more healthy, although Mike Williams now is a little bit banged up again, but still uh, that Chargers team was a different team, especially because I just don't think they had the horses on defense because of injury to be able to disrupt Trevor Lawrence the way that they will in this game. Mm-hmm. Dallas, Tampa Bay. Jerry Jones says, I have full faith in Mike McCarthy and his staff. Oh, don't worry about this game. We're not going to put much, you know, much into, you know, what happens in this game or whatever. But yeah, Mike McCarthy. Uh, full faith. Let me tell you something. If Dallas loses to a statuesque Tom Brady and the struggles that Tampa Bay has had this year, I mean, this game I can't predict just because you got two teams that I don't trust. So, real quick take on that. Quick take on that is I don't trust them, but I do trust Brady in this kind of a situation more than I trust Dak Prescott. Right. Dak has had the turnover bug in recent weeks, I mean, badly. They couldn't run the ball at all against the Washington Commanders last week, and their center, Tyler Biotis, he, he was out, and uh, if he plays in this game, he'll be gimpy. And without him, they have trouble running the ball. If Dallas jumps out to a lead, then I think they'll be okay. But if they don't jump out to a quick lead, I think Tampa Bay wins this. All right. He is Trevor Maddich, and uh, the college football season is over. You get a little R&R right now, right? Kind of kick back at home and watch some NFL, have a good time, right? Uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm just <laughs> sleep. I sleep, wake up for kickoff. When the game's over, I go back to sleep. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and joining us again today, man. I know it's uh, been a long, long college football season. Uh, you deserve the rest, my friend, uh, again. And I appreciate you joining us. Dedication, man. One of the busiest mans in the business, and he is with us at least once and sometimes twice a week. Appreciate you, my man. Thanks, DC. There he is, Trevor Maddich. He's going to go take a nap. <laughs> uh, George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, this weekend, Saturday night. At the Westgate International Theater. Looking forward to that. We come back. Kevin Kruger is going to join us. So we get ready for UNLV Boise State tonight. Oh.
for that and uh, tonight we've got a big game at the Thomas and Mack Center the running rebels coming off that big victory against New Mexico over the weekend at the pit and tonight the Rebs take on Boise State the Broncos coming to town good game on tap tonight get out to the Thomas and Mack Center get your tickets and enjoy 8 o'clock tip off tonight at the TNM. and join us now the head coach of the running rebels Kevin Kruger Kevin thank you for joining us on game day Hey, thanks for having me. Man, all right, For right, let's talk a little bit about uh, your trip down to Albuquerque. Big win against New Mexico. You guys win 84-77. to Very, very impressive. Congratulations on that. Uh, I know you guys trailed by five at the half. Big second half. And so what was the difference? Uh, first of all, take us, take, us, uh, take us behind the scenes, man, the locker room. What was that like? What was that halftime speech like? And, and tell me what you saw in the second half. I just thought we did a lot better job of just being patient. Um, I think in the first half, we just got a little sped up. We took some really quick shots. Um, we played a little bit more of their pace than the one we wanted to play at, especially at the pit. You know, it was it was sold out. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. And I just thought we were a little rushed. And the guys in the second half just did a really good job being patient, uh, taking good shots, creating shots for each other, and uh, and uh, were able to turn it turn it in our, in our favor. Talk a little bit about, playing there at the pit and coaching at the pit. Again, that is a very tough place. And we know that when New Mexico has good teams, I mean, that is one of the most advantageous home courts to have. And I know that attendance has been down there the last few years, just like a lot of places and everything. But, I mean, it was jam-packed, like you said, over the weekend. Talk about playing there and and talk about just in general about how tough it is to win on the road, uh, especially these conference opponents. Oh, it's incredibly difficult to get conference road wins. I mean, it's tough to get conference wins. And uh, so to be able to go into the pit and get one is, is huge for the team and the program. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best, uh, I think, venues in college basketball. There's so much history there. And uh, their fan base is so passionate and, and loud and supportive. And uh, I think uh, – but I also think it's a, it's kind of a – Testament to the direction of the conference as a whole. We had, uh, you know, Boise had a sellout on Saturday. New Mexico was sold out on Saturday. Our attendance is growing, and uh, I think uh, just the interest and the attention overall in the Mountain West is uh, is going in a good direction. What is now? Let's go back because uh, I, I love talking about these these venues. For you as a coach, or even as a player, 
What were a couple of the places, and it doesn't have to be Mountain West, could be anywhere for that matter, that you just kind of said, man, this this is tough to play in, whether it's atmosphere, whether it's altitude, whether it's the crazy fans, whether it's the sight lines or whatever. whatever. Give us a few of those spots. Um, well, you know, the, the pit, of course, is up there. Uh, Pauley Pavilion, just because the history, I mean, it's not uh, necessarily the loudest, but, you know, everything that, that happened at UCLA and Pauley Pavilion throughout its history. Um, it, you know, they moved arenas, but, uh, you know, the, the old uh, the old Oregon arena, you know, I think they called it the pit as well. Right, yeah. I mean, there's just a, a lot of really good, you know, special venues and and a lot of really tough places to play and a lot of really great places. You know, Thomas and Mac, when it's when it's rocking, is, is one of the best as well. No doubt, no doubt. And you spent a lot of time, obviously, with, you know, assisting your dad and everything. I'm sure, you know, you've got, you know, Big 12 places or down even in the southeastern part of the United States or the southwest, there's some uh, some big-time home court advantages there too, huh? Oh, no question. I mean, you talk about, you know, Fog Allen at, at yeah. Kansas or – you know, you Illinois always had great support, sellouts. You know, uh, Indiana, uh, you, you know, Iowa. Even I mean, you can. There's just so many really good basketball venues and places uh, that uh, it, it's it's really fun to either go in and play in or 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 be a part of. Kevin Kruger joins us. The Rebels get ready for their game tonight against Boise State. Really looking forward to that one tonight. Um, you guys over overcame some really tough early conference losses, losing your first two to San Jose State on the road, and then a tough one at home to San Diego State. What was your message to the guys as you headed in to the pit? Very tough environment, and you were facing a ranked team, knowing that, you know, hey, you really need to pick up a win here you know, coming in there with those two tough losses prior to that? Uh, not a lot changed. You know, I think we we had to, we have to stay consistent and uh, just in the message of, of getting better, focusing in and uh, doing what we need to do to give ourselves a chance to win each ballgame. And I thought uh, that that's what we did at the pit. We gave ourselves a good chance and got off to a rough start, but battled back. It's a long game. And, and uh, then once we were able to get the lead, just held on to it. You know, they were ranked 21st in the country. You beat Dayton earlier this season. They're ranked uh, number 21. Uh, what, what, you you want to face a bunch of uh, 21st ranked teams, don't you? I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Tonight is Boise State. They're 12 and four. Uh, they really thumped Utah State the other night, 82 to 59. We know that, uh, they've got themselves a very good program. I mean, you got Shaver, Smith, Agbo. Uh, when you look at Boise State, what do you see when you're looking at these guys? I just see a team full of winners, really. When they won last year, uh, they've done a good job. They're winning this year. Um, they just, they, they play together. They play really sound. They play really hard. Uh, they're very physical, solid defensive team, and then they share the ball extremely well offensively. What are your early thoughts here when you're looking at the conference? And we talked about this before, about this is going to be a tough conference slate. You've got a lot of balance, and we've talked about, hey, you can make a case maybe for five or six teams that could be up near the top during the course of the, the regular season. And then when it comes, you know, Mountain West Conference tournament time, you can make a case for maybe anybody winning it. Uh, give us your thoughts now. I know it's early on, but uh, tell us what you see. No, I think I'd agree with you. I think this is a, a another year where we've taken a step forward as a conference, and uh, there's a handful of teams that are, 
are going to be able to make a case to get into the NCAA tournament. And I think a handful of teams will get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think a lot of teams and, and everybody did what they could in the non-conference to, to get themselves in the discussion uh, of being considered. And now uh, that conference is around, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people beating up on each other. We've seen Jordan McCabe really kind of be, be that guy. You can see the experience with him. He's, uh, uh, I mean, E.J. Harkless looks fantastic. You got Jordan McCabe coming off the bench. It seems like he's kind of now settling in to his role there. Give us your thoughts about those two guys specifically. Yeah, I think they're, uh, you know, they're just, like you said, they're just getting settled in and, and more and more comfortable. You know, the the parquet injury kind of changed things up in terms of our routine and rotation uh, minutes and, and roles a little bit. But Jordan's done an unbelievable job. You know, being a steady hand, allowing Keyshawn to play off the ball a little bit. And then, of course, EJ with his second half at New Mexico, uh, he really kind of took that game over and and uh, got good looks and, and took and uh, made some big shots. How is the overall health of the team as you stand right now? You mentioned Parquet. What, what, what's his status and, and other guys right now? Yeah, I mean, EP uh, should be coming back soon. Uh, he's still, still rehabbing, still working at it, but it's on a good uh, progression and then uh, you know Isaiah Cottrell is still still out unfortunately right now so um, we'll we'll have the same lineup and and guys that we've had the last few weeks. All right, uh, should be an exciting game uh, tonight, uh, Wednesday night at uh, the Thomas and Max Center, eight o'clock tip off with the Rebels taking on Boise State. Final thing here, Kevin, as you get ready for this game, obviously you know you got a tough opponent. Uh, what uh, has been the talk in practice? In the last couple of days, what's the main focus? What do you got to watch out for? What do you got to key in on? And uh, what is going to be that uh, those final words to the team before you hit the floor tonight? I think just that you know, understanding and appreciating that uh, of how physical Boise is going to be, how tough it's going to be to get good shots, uh, how hard we're going to have to compete to make them take tough shots, and uh, and just kind of enjoy that and understand that and and look forward to it and. I mean, it's going to be an absolute knock them down, drag them out Mountain West game. And I think the team that uh, can kind of, you know, maybe get through a, a, a tough stretch here or there or kind of fight through some, some adversity is going to be the, the one that wins it. All right. We appreciate you taking the time today, Kevin. We'll let you get back to prepping for tonight's game. It's 8 o'clock tonight, Rebels against Boise State. Good luck tonight, Coach. Thank you. All right. We'll see you out there tonight. All right, see you. There is Kevin Kruger, the head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels, and uh, very thankful that Kevin uh, joins us on game day today. Looking forward to that. And again, this is a big, big game for UNLV tonight. And again, you know, there are certain games when you look at the Rebels' home schedule that you circle. And one of those is tonight against Boise State. Boise State is a team, even though most sports fans will think of them as being a, a football powerhouse and not so much a basketball, but this team has been to the tournament, made the tournament. Leon Rice does a fantastic job as their head coach, and uh, they got a lot of returners you know, coming back here. That is a big-time program, and actually they were the conference favorite uh, in the Mountain West uh, to win uh, this conference this year, and They've gotten off to a pretty good start. Boise State is 12-4 and overall, and um, they have lost one game thus far, 2-1 and in the Mountain West. Had a narrow loss last time they traveled to the state of Nevada, a two-point loss to um, Nevada up in Reno. 
But and there's another team that's that's playing well in the mix as well too. You can make the case. I mean, you look at San Diego State, Colorado State, Boise State, Utah State. Even though they got drilled, I mean, very strong team this year. Nevada doing their thing. Um, you know, several teams playing very very well. Fresno State's going to come in here in a couple of weeks. Watch out for them, Colorado State. So I mean, really aside. For maybe Air Force and then San Jose State. And unfortunately, you know, San Jose State beat UNLV. And I know that Kevin Kruger and the Rebels would like to have that game back because that is a big blemish on their resume right now. The Rebels are still 12 and 3. Uh, the other two losses, not bad at all, but that San Jose State loss to kick off the Mountain West Conference season, that stung a little bit. But they did uh, atone for that. Even though they lost to San Diego State, which obviously is always a tough contest. But, hey, the Rebels responded big against New Mexico. That New Mexico team is no joke. And there again, they were ranked 21st in the country heading into that game last weekend. But tonight's game, Boise State, UNLV, 8 o'clock, Thomas and Mack Center. Um, you got television coverage on that uh, as well tonight uh, at CBS Sports Network. We'll have the coverage there, but if you can get out there, get out there and support the Rebels. Uh, we have seen good crowds for the most part this year. Still not the crowds that that we are looking for that we, you really want to have out there, but it is improving. And when you do get six, seven thousand fans in the Thomas and Mac, you like to have a lot more, but it, it still gets very, very raucous down in that lower bowl. So hopefully the Rebels can get the job done tonight, but it will be a tough one. And again, like I said, there's certain games you look at on the basketball schedule. You want to see, you want to see them play San Diego State. You want to see them play Boise State. Well, tonight is one of those games. So uh, get out there and support the Rebels. All right. Appreciate again, Kevin Kruger for joining us as, uh, uh, the night of, uh, of the game here tonight at the TNM. All right. Uh, continuing on here, uh, Alan Snell is going to join us uh, at the bottom of the hour. He'll be coming on and talking about the business side of things here in Las Vegas. Always enjoy having Alan on from LVSportsBiz.com. We're going to talk uh, the Raiders and not only what we saw in the field from them, but uh, really kind of zoom in from the business side with that. And then uh, more news coming out today regarding the Oakland A's and their potential relocation to Las Vegas. So uh, stay tuned for that coming at the bottom of the hour with uh, with Alan Snell. All right. So a lot to hit on there as well, too. All right. Um, Numchuck, I know that you are a a big wrestling fan. I am. Yes. And, and news of Vince McMahon basically stepping down, coming back. Well, I know it, it made headlines today that Stephanie McMahon is now, I guess, relinquishing her spot. She resigned yesterday. And for those that yes. don't know, married to Hunter Hearst Helmsley Triple H, who's been running basically the day-to-day operations and been doing all the storylines for the WWE, you know, dating back to when McMahon actually kind of stepped away from the storyline part going back to 1982. Uh, but, you know, this is... This is something that I know some fans will look at this and, and say, okay, you know, is, is this the beginning of the end to maybe the WWE? Is it the beginning of the end in wrestling? Well, I don't think wrestling is ever going to go away. It, you know, people had said this, you know, going way back when, when, 
you know, Turner got back in the picture and all that stuff that the WWE and WWF at the time was going to go away. And, uh, there were, there were budget cutbacks. There was talent cutbacks, you know, going back into those days in the nineties. Uh, but WWE, they survived and then even came back even stronger and stronger. And again, the way they conduct their business, it's, it's really, like a live nation or like a, a, a concert business and has been for quite some time. So, um, I know you want me to get RVD on to, to come on and, and maybe talk about that. Um, I'm not sure, you know, Rob is, is one of those guys that just really has been done with it. Yeah. He's I, been, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's that. one of the reasons I said that to you, you know, earlier when we were talking about that, but I mean, he is a good guy that, 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 that can talk about it and especially maybe the business, you know, side of it. But, you know, as these wrestlers and as football players, as you heard Lincoln Kennedy. Yeah. When you're step away from it, you're done. You're, you're just, yeah, you're and, done. And it's like, if Lincoln Kennedy was not, had a broadcast gig, probably wouldn't be watching hardly any NFL. And if he did, he'd be watching it very, very casually. I think that's mm-hmm. the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Like these football players right now that are done, their regular season is over with the Green Bay Packers and other teams of that. They're, they're done. These players, for the most part, they're not going to sit by their couch and watch NFL playoff games on Saturday. It just doesn't happen. It's just not who they are. They're going to be playing video games. They're going to be hanging out with their with their family and, and their and their fellas and that sort of thing. And they're going to be traveling, all that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of people don't don't un- understand that. And for wrestlers, it's kind of like the same thing uh, as as well too. Especially when you've been to that pinnacle and you've been on the top of, of the mountain uh, for that. But uh, again, yeah, news coming out today. So with Vince McMahon, we, we know he got in some trouble. He got in, yeah. Right. So that it was about six or seven months ago that they right. found some stuff and yeah. So he basically kind of, you know, has kind of retreated from the business and no one, you know, would kick Vince McMahon out. You no, know, he would never let anybody tell him when it's time to go or whatever. But do you get that feeling now that, okay, he's up there in age, he's accomplished so much, even though the egomaniac that he is, that he just doesn't want to relinquish power to anyone, not only within his own company, but he doesn't want to relinquish power to another organization that will come in and, and try to, you know, pick up the steam on what he's built with the WWE. I mean, he was always that way. I mean, I think I told you the story where he sent me a cease and desist letter, you know, back when I was promoting, when I was doing the NWC. It was like, Vince, why are you worried about what I'm doing here in Las Vegas or what I'm doing in Sacramento? And what, what, what am I? But that's the kind of guy he was. And again, th- this was, you know, mid late nineties in, but I don't know if he still has that same hunger. And again, he has made enough money over the past four decades to, Live comfortably, and he's not a guy that's really, you know, blown at all. Um, even though he's invested a lot of money into the company, is it time for him just to now just walk away in the sunset? So what they were saying is he was going to come back to create a sales group so that he could sell it. Okay. So the sales group that he bought was J.P. Morgan or something like that. Mm-hmm. The people that he was going to sell it to were some Saudi-based 
people that was it have something to do with it, the the live tour guys? Well, no, it was like it's it's a, end it, up it, like it's that, a but... it's a Saudi based okay. investment group. Okay, so it's people are now all up in arms because oh my god, we're going to be with you know the, the Saudis and nobody wants to do that. So there's you know everywhere I'm seeing you know wrestlers want to want to um, walk away if that sale goes through. Um, I'm pretty sure Hunter will walk away. You know, Stephanie already has, and I believe that all of this stuff is going on. You know, she's walking away because Saudis don't want a woman running this company. Probably. probably. So, you know, you know, so like all of these little pieces are put, putting together into this puzzle, but nothing has been confirmed. Besides Stephanie, walk, besides Stephanie resigning, and all of these people can't get a hold of WWE people at all. All of the all of their contacts will not re, will not return calls. Wow! So it's you know like, hey, let's just you know, and that's the thing with this business and the WWE. I mean, you've got multiple TV shows a week. Okay, that you got to continue to produce. You've got, you know, venues that you're still touring, you know, several times a, a week. So you can't just shut that down. I mean, these venues are, have been booked, you know, six, eight months out in advance. Yeah. And they have, when they go on sale, I mean, they virtually sell out all the time. Yes. So they have to continue to conduct business. So who's conducting the business? Is it is Triple H and So for but, the, and he's there's a slew of people that yes. that you know that that run this. But if you're saying that that, that, that they can't contact certain people. So I, well no, like all of the people that are in these little dirt sheet radio shows yeah. and stuff like that. You yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like it's, you know, all of the contacts that they have that are within WWE HQ. They're shutting them down. Yeah. They're are not responding. allowed to, are not yeah. responding to anything. Yeah. Nobody knows any. So people last night were just up in arms and freaking out and oh my God. I don't know how big of a deal it's going to be, but if they do sell to Saudi, I can see issues happening. I would think that the majority of the talent sticks around because they know that they may even make more money because the Saudis, but it's Saudi money. Well, um, but again, and some of these wrestlers are not allowed to be in Saudi Arabia. That's the, that's like the, so like if they, if they want to have these events in Saudi Arabia, you're not going to be able to have your head, your, your, your couple of your big names won't be able to go. But, but that's the thing though. Okay. They're not going to be based. You know, in, in, no, I know. in Saudi Arabia. But I'm saying they're, they're still going to go and probably continue everything as is, you know, where you're doing a majority of your TV taping. It's going to still be in the United States. Now, are they going to do maybe some, some larger shows there? Absolutely. I, yeah. could, I could see that. But again, they're investing in where the product is right now. And they're dumping a, they would be dumping a whole lot of money. I would imagine to continue it, then then they would continue to shell out money to the top tier talent. I think as long as the day to day doesn't change, mm -hmm. it'd be fine. So what's the percentage that we have a major overhaul here where maybe the product 
if it doesn't look different, but maybe seems different just from where the talent standpoint is? What's the percentage that it's that we're, we're, we'll see a totally different WWE? As of right now, 50-50 if the sale goes through. Mm-hmm. You know, like if this sale is, a, is an actual legit thing, then you're... Are there any other suitors besides the Saudis who would purchase this from McMahon's? Anybody could. Anybody here in the but States. But they're saying right. it's like $8 billion. To, no, it's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Like it's, it's an absurd amount to purchase them. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Saudis put up a, a great offer, I guess. Mm-hmm. So... You know, why wouldn't the Jacksonville Jaguars Khan, who is a big wrestling guy who's invested in wrestling, why wouldn't he take it over? Because I, I think Vince won't sell to him. <laughs> How about this one? There's ego again. How about right? this one? Would you sell to Vince if, if, if back in the day, NWC, we those conversations actually came up? Yeah, did, yeah. did you want to sell? Um, I would have. I would have because knowing that the reason why I got into the business was from what he did and his father did. Yeah. Uh, that, that was cool to me. I didn't like the direction he took after that, especially after I, I got out of the business, but there was always that talk about, Hey, build it up, build it up, build it up. And, and I mean, he was obviously, you know, interested. And if we had continued for a longer run, that could have been a possibility because heck, he did it with ECW. He did it with everybody. Right, yeah. right, he did. And because he didn't he wanted to squash the competition. He wanted to own everything. So for me, yeah, because you know, it's a tough business. And as fun as it is it was and and the relationships, you know, with the guys and the girl the the wrestlers and everything, it was it was a grind trying to, you know, make sure that you had a funnel of of revenue, you know, coming in and this and that. And then, so that's when you, you do listen to other people say, okay, I, now I could just kind of like, okay, pass it over and get cashed off. Well, yeah. So if the price was right, I think so. And I think anybody would look at it like that. Oh, I think anybody would look at it like that, but I don't think Vince does because mm-hmm. that's his baby. It's true. And that's, so that's selling what, to competition. So that, so, but, and then again, that goes to my question to you where, okay. Vince McMahon clearly does not, to me, doesn't seem to have that same drive and passion. I won't say enthusiasm. He probably still has that as he had in the 80s and in the 90s. Not at all. And even the early 2000s. Yeah. And age has a lot to do with that. And again, just dealing with the BS that you got to deal with. And again, what his public persona is right now as well. That's why I asked, I posed the question of, Maybe now is the time because it's never been valued at a higher rate ever yeah. than it is now. And you're in your seventies. Step away. So here's the thing is, um, Vince, when he did step, when he stepped away, mm-hmm. you know, Paul, Triple H, whatever you want right. to call him, took over head of creative. Right. Basically what they're saying is he would be back as head of creative vince <laughs> so you're gonna get all of this bs back again all of this you know hey some guys just can't step away exactly yeah and, and he's one of those guys you know again just pose the question like okay you get a nice offer step away but again it's it's control and he probably would like to have control until the day that he dies yeah but again not in a good light right now from 
the the domestic stuff that we've heard about and all that. Yeah. So, all right. When we come back, Alan Snell in the house. He's going to join us. We talk a little LV Sports Biz. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. Oh, for crying out loud. The doctor. You watch your language on the air. T.C. Martin. Don't forget to join us Friday, our Friday home at the Westgate Las Vegas, at the world-famous Superbook, best bets, and a whole lot more. Always a great time on Friday. It's been fun being on there the past couple Mondays, too, New Year's Day, and then, of course, the National Championship game this last Monday. So, yep, back at it again on Friday. Marco D'Angelo will be joining me. Maybe get Jay Schrader back, you know, off of the knee surgery. Look forward to that. But best bets and a whole lot more. And don't forget, George Clinton performing Saturday night at the International Theater. You gotta like that. Will he perform this? He will not perform this, but you never know with George. I mean, he can go in so many different directions. But our our next guest is making his way into the studio now. This is his walk-up song, so to speak. Chris Boz, you do not get mad at Alan Snell because I think he's taking your song. He's taking Thunderstruck. The one only Alan Snell in the house. T.C. Martin, how are you? I'm good, brother. You like that song, don't you? Yeah, you know, you had a great show that day where you had all your uh, all your spectacular guests uh, offering their favorite songs. And, and you were part of that. Yeah, I was honored to uh, um, to be one of the uh, lucky few to uh, <laughs> offer my Springsteen yeah. contribution. It was a good but one. I also, what, what was really great about the show was that it exposed me to all the musical tastes of your whole lineup and it's really kudos for you for having such a variety of such mm-hmm. a cast of characters mm-hmm. you know who who you talk with every week because the variety of musical tastes was fantastic fantastic i really enjoyed it and it was to me a throwback to really the days about am jam kind of right. music right. and it was across the board i mean you had the Aces coach and Chris Basio and uh, good old Brian Salmon from Channel 3 and, and everyone across the board, Steve yeah. Sachs and, yeah. Yeah. you know, all your characters. Was Crazy Horse Barnett, was he in the lineup that day? I, I did not hit Jim Barnett uh, for that. And again, so I think there was close the man to of 20. a million layups. Yeah, that's that true. Guy. There was, you know, we had close to 20. And again, we've, and what Alan's referring to is our song fest show, the T.C. Martin song fest show. And you can go back and listen to that anytime. You go back, go to the website and you can hear that back. And in, I'm really glad that you appreciate it because, um, as you know, music and sports has always been my life and it's always been intertwined and it's intertwined with both businesses. I mean, sports guys love music and music guys love sports. And so every time we have somebody on, we start diving into music and they, ha- you know, it's so, and I'm glad that you recognize the diversity of not only the guests, but the diversity of their music. I mean, heck, we had, you know, guys that who you would think would be like, Hey, they're R and B funk guys, but they're, they were going rock or jazz. And then, you know, we had Kevin and Lon Kruger and Lon Kruger went country and, you know, we never play, even talk about country music on this show. But yeah, I mean, we had, you know, we had some old ballads. We had some, some modern day hip hop. We had some old school R and B funk. We had the classic rock. And so I felt the exact same way that you felt. It was like, Hey, this is cool that like, let's see. And I think the listeners, I hear it all the time. Like I had no idea that that guy listened to that or he warmed up to that. 
You know? I think it offered a yeah. terrific side to all the personalities that yeah. you have on your show. Mm-hmm. I was thinking you should put out like a holiday edition CD of all <laughs> of the entire. There, there's another project. There we go, <laughs> Nunchuck. There we go. But, Poor uh, Chuck being uh, thanks, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> More work for me. <laughs> That's it. But well, hey, you got you get a lot of the blame or not blame, but kind of blame because he said, "Hey, we got to do it again. We got to do it again." It's like, man, that's a lot of work. I mean, to make sure that we okay, I reach out to everybody and we get their songs in advance, and then, like you said, it's like, and it goes back to my old world, you know, the DJ days and and the AM FM radio stuff because we do that show live. That's not a podcast where you piece together. So. When we line everybody up and we time the songs out, okay, we got to make sure Steve Sachs, you're by your phone at 306. Exactly. And then this next guy's ready to go at 311. And that's how we do that. A lot of people probably don't realize that. So at the end of that show, Numbchuck and I are going, hey, pulled that one off. Yeah, you did pull it off. I give you credit. And there's some snafus in there, but that's the roughest show we have. It's live radio, but there, that, is, you know, so it takes about two and a half, three hours to do a, a regular show prep day. That one takes a lot longer. I give you credit because it was, like you said, the fusion of all your, your, you know, wild variety of sports guests. And then you have the whole music side of things and you fuse it together. And like I said, it was a fantastic <laughs> playlist of really American music. I mean, you, you really had a, a complete buffet of all the musical genres really for the past, I'd say, half century. It's true. Yeah. yeah I mean, we went back to, like I said, some stuff from the 50s and the 60s. To, I, went, I yeah. went back to my bread and butter, Springsteen with Rosalita. Yeah. No, that was strong. I mean, that was strong. So we have two editions of that. So again, we've done it. Uh, the holiday, I think that's just going to be, it's a traditional thing now. It's the last Friday before Labor Day is when we do it. And then we get a chance to replay those episodes like on holidays or, um, on on those rare occasions that take the day off. Let me ask you. Yeah. We've done it for two years in a row now. Let me ask you this about music and sports. You know, uh, unfortunately the Raiders have really, you know, they fizzled out down the stretch and, a lot of their home games really featured a lot of musical acts. I was wondering if there was any, uh, I, I think, uh, was it Ice Cube who played in the last yes. couple? Yeah. And, and Too Short uh, was there. And then again, right. I'm just wondering. Sublime last time. Sublime with Rome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, what was your take on just the radio's, enter, uh, the Raiders' mm. entertainment side? Because the, the team underperformed this year six and 11 they they were just so disappointing they blew so many leads and sometimes the home games came down to literally the music entertainment it's true you know where that starts believe it or not it starts with mark davis and this all started with mark when he wanted carlos santana to come play huge fan huge fan he's yeah and mark is a big music guy and he has built relationships with so many musical artists over the years and so that kind of started things you know with him and like, hey let's let's have this person and that was d- came from him directed from him and then now you, you have you know other people that are involved that say hey let's let's do this let's do that and he signs off on all that stuff so um again i think that you know being in las vegas being the entertainment slash sports capital of the world that they wanted to incorporate some of the things that the golden knights have done, and you know as well as I do, especially, you know, that first year, even the first couple of years, it's still, you know, when you walked into that building at T-Mobile for a Golden Knights game, it wasn't your garden variety hockey night. It was, okay, this is Cirque du Soleil, 
slash rock concert slash nightclub slash hockey game. And I remember Mark Davis saying that, hey, I want to kind of capitalize on that. And they've done it kind of to a certain degree with their own little spin or flip. But you're right. There are people there now that are like, hey, I want to go to the game because I want to see this, you know, perform and perform. And remember, too, you've probably been around here long enough, the house band that they hired, that band had played at Cleopatra's Barge in Caesars for many, many years. And one of my favorite venues to go to and that band because they were you know, had the orchestration. It's a really interesting space in, in it, Caesars. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of but, like tucked off a side like lobby or or kind of oh, hallway. Yeah. That's old school. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, go, yeah. I remember coming back in the eighties and the nineties, and then that would be the spot to go. It's like, oh, you know, you're just walking to the sports book. What? What is this? And here's this, here's this like, uh, you know, boat, and then there's some water, and then there's this music and this band. But they have, you know, like a twelve, thirteen piece band that was that was their house band, and then the Raiders said, hey. You kind of encompass all of the genres. Let's have these guys, and they perform as you as you know three four times during each game. They do a terrific job. I think they add a lot, and like you said, the cool the cool thing is that they cover a lot of different categories of yeah. music. That's that's really important. You know, the Raiders to me have have just been, I think, one of the most fascinating unicorn franchises because you know you were there the last two games. Talk about a sea of red taking over the stadium. The 49ers and then the Kansas City Chiefs. And I believe Mark Davis did comment about all the other team's fans taking over the building. Um, you know, the bottom line for Mark Davis is that he's still making a lot of money. People think, people might should realize they generate more ticket revenue than any other NFL team, mm-hmm. which is astonishing. And the two reasons for that one is the prices are it's expensive ticket, you know, to get there. Even if, even and, if you have 62,000 seats, like yeah. you said, it's, it's probably on the smaller side mm-hmm. in terms of stadium fixed seating, but 62,000 times whatever the average ticket is, which is probably, you know, $160 per ticket, I right. think. And, you know, you, you come out with literally 120, 130 million dollars a year yeah. in annual revenue. Now that is on top of the personal C license revenue that they generated from the get go as well. This Raiders team right now, uh, and I'm, I'm going to give you full credit for this. I mean, if you haven't seen Allen's, uh, any of his articles, but I'm going to go back to the one that you wrote after the 49er game at lvsportsbiz.com. Uh, it's, it's a great read and it talks about the Raiders having this disappointing season, but the fan base is still there. And it's kind of this old school, I'll use the word archaic fan base, but these guys are, are still there. It doesn't matter win, lose. They are still there. And you, you know, uh, visited with Wayne uh, Mayberry, Mayberry and the, the violator and other people like that. It's a great read at lvsportsbiz.com. But one of the biggest takes that I got out of that, Alan, was the Raiders are valued at $5.1 billion. And that goes to your point, what, what you just said. You know, over what, whatever that number is, over a hundred million in just ticket revenue, but the sponsorship revenue and the, the PSL revenue and everything else that you got going in there, the concessions, the parking, it is, it is a cash cow right now. But when you go to the game, you're saying this is tourist money. And I know it kind of bothers Mark Davis to a certain degree, but bottom line is, it is giving him the bankroll necessary to pursue free agents, and he's spending more money now 
than the organization has ever spent when they were in, in L.A. or Oakland. Well, what's interesting is that from a government standpoint, when you do have the tourists coming to the games, that is money in the bank to pay off the uh, the bonds. Mm-hmm. So the um, the estimated revenue, I think, is around $4 million a month in terms of the hotel room tax revenue. And uh, they've pretty much returned to pre-pandemic numbers. So, um, you know, that's kind of a good sign that at least the economy has turned the corner in terms of the bed tax money, which is important. If you remember, everyone was kind of freaking out, not once, but twice. Unfortunately, the Clark County had to hit the old contingency fund. Right to right. uh, pay off um, the money, uh, the, you know, pay off the debt on the, the bonds that were floated to help, you know, the public contribution on the construction. And, I, you know, as long as there's not another pandemic and as long as the strip's not shut down, hopefully that won't be another, that won't be another issue. I know you've talked to, like I mentioned, a lot of fans, uh, season ticket holders and just fans in general. At what point does it get to be too expensive for these fans to not go to the games, especially considering, you know, this team had a dreadful season, but they always hold out hope. But still, you talk about, you know, not being in the playoffs for the better part of the last 20 years. At what point does it get too expensive? And did you get that from anybody that you talked to? Well, what's really fascinating was that when I was talking to some of the older fans, it was interesting to find, uh, to talk about from a generational standpoint because sooner or later it's kind of sad you don't like to think about it but these fans are in their 50s and 60s -hmm. they grew up when the when the raiders were the they were the rebel brand team in the national football league in the 70s and 80s and now these fans are in their 50s and 60s and 70s if you know i think you know mark davis can probably ride this out for another 10 15 years he's going to have to start turning around and have some winning competitive teams i mean for the last 20 years i believe they had the second worst overall win loss record in the whole nfl over a 20 year period i believe the yep. cleveland browns had the worst and you know sooner or later it it sounds so macabre but the fans will will eventually the generation of fans will will pass on and that's why it's important to like start winning now and also right now at, you know as you notice um i got to tell you it i mean they're tourism events these are tourism yes. events at at the football games it is. for the raiders games mm-hmm. and it'll be interesting i don't know how you feel about it but what's your take on just how many local people here in las vegas i'm talking about the locals have become Raiders fans. I don't think that number is is very much. And I've always talked about the transplant situation here. When you have Las Vegas the way it is, you know, people use transient. I don't like to use that word because it's transplant. I mean, people in the NFL have always had their home team. If you're from Buffalo, you're a Bills fan. You're from the Midwest, you're Green Bay, you're a Packer fan. You're going to always be a Packer fan. You got people that moved to Vegas, they're from San Francisco. They're still going to be 49er fans. And maybe your secondary team is going to be the Raiders. But for me, the, t- the people that I see that are season ticket holders, they are people that have a lot of money, disposable income, and they either are not a great NFL fan, they're not a diehard, but they just want to be at the games because they have disposable income. Or the other ones are like, well, you know, I, I, I kind of like the NFL, but you know, I, I'll, I'll go. 
it's not this diehard I'm a Raider fan unless you have relocated from Oakland or LA or somewhere else and you've always been a Raider fan. But to me, that number is is minimal. And again, I agree with you. I think it's 50%, 40 to 50% tourist driven. And then the others are people that are using those tickets for an investment and they're selling them. Well, you, you hit it right there. I was just going to add that there's a, I, I'm aware of locals who simply bought the personal seat license, bought the ticket deals for the sole purpose of reselling them on the secondary market. Yeah. And how many people do we know that just flow in from Southern California and the San Francisco Bay Area and the Oakland area? If, if I recall the numbers, uh, from Mark Bedane, who was the former president of the team, and he was mentioning where the season ticket holder base basis were coming from. I'm almost positive it was 20 to 25 percent Southern Cal and 20 to 25 percent from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. You're talking literally half of your of your yep. season ticket base is out of state. That's not surprising, considering the long history, especially in Northern California, right? And the lo- and the and the it, loyalty to the brand that was interesting. I interviewed a lot of right. 49ers and Chiefs fans the last two weeks, mm-hmm. and to you know, it's interesting. You have the the one geographic rival, and then you had the one division rival, mm-hmm. and I found them very friendly. And they just said, "I got to tell you, even though the Raiders have put up some horrible one loss numbers." These are the most loyal fans I've ever seen. (laughs) It's crazy. And and eventually, like I said, it's going to be a generational issue. You know, sad to say, these fans are like in their – these longtime fans are in their 60s. They're in their 70s. You know, eventually the generation will pass on. And it's – and I understand they are trying to plant roots you know, they are doing the community things. In fact, you probably got the same press release, Daniel Carlson – Working with a local uh, bank to, mm-hmm. I think they 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 presented like a hundred thousand dollar check or whatever it was. I mean, they are trying to plant the roots. It just takes so long. And yeah. also, you know, that's that was the magic formula with the Golden Knights. Number one, homegrown. Number two, they won right off the bat, exactly. taking it right to the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. They have emotional. Their emotional clutches into the psyche of Las Vegas will last really forever. I mean, they're, they still they are leading the National Hockey League in the percentage capacity attendance in the building. I mean, the building is not necessarily the biggest uh, hockey arena in the National Hockey League, but in terms of percentage being filled, they're around one hundred and three percent. Yeah, they're yeah. they're as you know they're about eighteen thousand, mm-hmm. around eighteen thousand, yeah. which, which is still one of the largest. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is still great yeah. numbers, but yeah. they're. They're filling up the arena at 103% of capacity. They can fill up the arena with about 1,000 people, standing room only, mm-hmm. in scattered places around the arena. And, you know, and you do have some some games where there is a lot of, like, uh, out-of-town uh, NHL fans who do come in. And that was an issue definitely in year one. But, you know, if you look at just – it's interesting to compare the two franchises. They're 180 degrees in the opposite oh, yeah. direction. You have, like, a homegrown product brand, and then you have probably – what would you say? Like, probably one of the top – one of the top five brands in our country in terms of major league teams. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm talking about nationally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a lot of people from around the country who, who also come into these games. So mm-hmm. – uh, yeah, at the end of the day, the Raiders do have to win. I, I will say last year there was, a, you know, the horrible incident with rugs, I think, set back the community relations. I will tell you, I, I, 
I mean, I have friends who have told me that, you know, they, they, some of their children, you know, knew the young lady who was killed in that horrible mm-hmm. uh, car crash by Henry Ruggs. And it really, I thought, set back community relations. Oh, especially yeah. for the people who are not necessarily big football right. or Raider fans. Right. No, it's, it's, it's true. And again, winning cures everything. You know, again, you got spoiled with the Golden Knights because they won immediately and they've been basically a perennial playoff team, you know, the five plus years that they, they've been here. So, uh, the Raiders need to win and you hit the nail on the head. It's an aging fan base. It's an aging fan base. And it kind of almost reminded me of the UNLV fan, fan base. I was going to say the exact like, same thing. You yeah. know, a couple of years ago, I did a story about how, um, in some, it's kind of fascinating. In fact, well, you know, the, the team has a big uh, game tonight. In fact, I'm sure are you, uh, will you be going to see? I will be there. And we just had Kevin Kruger on. We oh, there you previewed go. the game. So, um, hopefully we can trade some like, uh, anecdotes about t- Dave Corzine and other like, <laughs> there you go. college players. Al <laughs> yeah. loves uh, talking to the old, the old school hoops. I love it too. There it is. The meat hook himself, Alan Snell, <laughs> lvsportsbiz.com. How's that? Uh, you shocked Lon on that one. Yeah. When you, when you dropped the, the old meat hook yeah, on him. He liked that one. <laughs> he loved that one. <laughs> I want to get your take real quick here. Um, the A's. All right. We are, we talk about them a lot. The Tropicana location seems right. to be, uh, the focus that's out in the news again here today for a $1 billion domed ballpark where the Tropicana sits now. We know that the A's are still flirting in Oakland with that Howard Terminal, um, development site for $12 million, but it, they'd build the same thing, a $1 billion domed ballpark on that land. They can't get the, you know, this thing approved there. Um, the festival grounds. Um, I think that's off the table. That looks like that's off the table yeah. now, right? So it looks like, is that what you're hearing? That it's the Tropicana or nothing? And then again, part two, real quick, the time yeah. frame. Yeah, you know, um, I actually, you know, I thought we would be talking about the uh, Oakland Athletics, the the other Oakland team, if you will. And you know, as you know, there was there is a twelve billion dollar waterfront development project. And what's interesting is that the owner of the A's committed to building the waterfront development project with the understanding that the city of Oakland would come through with the infrastructure costs. And that's when I started doing a little digging. And um, this is front office. This is basically I'm reading right off the uh, front office sports uh, report for today. They had mentioned that Oakland has been awarded $375 million in transportation grants. And they've applied for another additional $55 million in regional grants, $25 million in federal sources, and $60 million in state grants. Oakland could also raise funds through a $150 million limited obligation bond. So I really, I still think my money is still on Oakland. Mm-hmm. That's just my own really? personal opinion. Okay. I still think uh, for a couple reasons, um, I think they've, they've been going down this road for so long. Um, all these infrastructure grants are in place. And number two, something, you know, you know Mark Davis pretty well. I don't know how much Mark has talked to you about his about his Oakland Athletics. He 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 did not have a good relationship with the Oakland Athletics. Right. That's you know that's not really a secret. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure he'd be really too happy about having the Oakland Athletics following him into Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is you know realistically demolish. I mean it, it demolishing the Tropicana. and building a baseball park at Tropicana and Las Vegas Boulevard. That seems like it would just be, it would take forever. I mean, that would be a, that would be a long, long project. That'd be a major construction project right there. All right. He is Alan Snell, uh, lvsportsbiz.com. 
Alan, you continue to do a great, a fantastic job. Uh, love reading your stuff. Love seeing you at all the games. Um, and keep on keeping on, brother. TC, it's always a pleasure to come down here. And I got to tell you, just uh, for my little PSA in general for yeah. public safety, just look out for pedestrians and bicyclists yes. out there. And, and the drivers, please slow down. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I hate to be like such an old fart. No, you're not. You're you're advocate. There's a lot of people, like I said, like yourself, who you know communicate uh, commute by by way of bike. And um, hey, nothing wrong with that. So, so I'll see you yeah. tonight, right, TC? I will be there. There's no question about it. All right, and and say hello to the our good friend, the sports nista as Yo, well too, yes. who does a fantastic job with you, Cassandra. Yeah. Cassandra Cousineau is one of the uh, top MMA boxing writers, really in the country. And I'm very lucky uh, to have her writing reporting for LV Sports Biz. All right, here you go, Alan. I don't know if you know this one or not. But oh, this takes me back. I'll see if you can name the movie here as well, too. This is the uh, updated version, not the original, going back to, I wouldn't say, early 70s. But here we go. Yes. I want to thank Alan Snell for being in the house uh, today. LVSportsBiz.com. Go check out his stuff. Trevor Manich, appreciate him. ESPN putting a bow on that ugly championship game on Monday night. But, hey, talking about the NFL Wild Card Weekend. And, of course, Kevin Kruger joins us today as UNLV is in action tonight at the Thomas & Mack Center taking on Boise State. Tip-off 8 o'clock at the TNM. You missed any part of the show, go to the website, TCMartinShow.com, wherever you get your podcasts. You can get it right there as well, too, at tcmartinshow.com. Our interview with Lincoln Kennedy is up there as well, too, on the homepage. Check that out and everything, all sports and even music. How about this one, Alan? A little funky Nassau. And we've got a doggone beat now. We're going to take care of business, too. See, this is from Blues Brothers 2000, too. There you go. See, he didn't have his, his headphones on, so there you go. A little funky Nassau. We'll go out with that one. All right, my man. We appreciate you. I'll see you tonight, TC. You got it, brother. All right, for Numbchuck, TC saying so long. We're back at it again tomorrow at 2. Funky. 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 Erica Badu. Where's Elwood? Come on.